Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday the 9th of November. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... How bad will it get for Manchester United as they collapse in Copenhagen? Manchester United need to win their next two games if they have any chance of playing European football. Do Arsenal no longer need strikers? He allowed them to get the wide forwards, Saka and Martinelli, into the game. And how are the Premier League hoping to change the rules for this January's transfer window? No associated party loans into the Premier League, full stop. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. It was an absorbing night in the Champions League to round off match day four. We'll take you through all the key actions shortly, but there is only one place to start. That is in Denmark, where Manchester United were beaten 4-3 by Copenhagen. Boylesson with time to deliver. Oskarsson didn't get it. Rudy Baldi does! 4-3 Copenhagen! Yes, that's right. Rooney scored the winner against Manchester United. The game of the night saw seven goals, two contentious penalties and a Marcus Rashford red card as United gave up 2-0 and 3-2 leads. It was the first time United have lost after leading by two goals in their Champions League history. Our correspondent Karl Anker was in Copenhagen for the game and he joins us now. Karl, how influential was Rashford's red card and was it a red card? According to the letters of the law, as outlined by Champions League ruling, that is a red card. But it doesn't sit well with my spirit. (laughs) You know when something's legally correct but morally wrong? Once the red card happened, you knew some form of calamity might befall Manchester United, but you didn't know which tragic comet punchline would occur. And what we got here was a farcical red card, a farcical penalty, a comeback for Manchester United, some farcical defending from Manchester United, some more farcical defending from Manchester United before the killing blow was delivered by someone named after your club's record goal scorer. I'm not saying football is scripted, but if it is, the person in charge of today's script really likes twist endings. Indeed, that red card really did seem to swing the match in Copenhagen's favour. How did Eric Ten Hag take the defeat? He was not fiery in the same way Mikel Arteta was. He was not a big shrug it is what it is in the same way Ange is charming everyone apparently for the two goals Eric Ten Hag believes there's not much you can do about it because the first one shouldn't have counted because it, in his view it was offside. He believes a player was interfering with Andre Onana from an offside position before the ball reaches Mohamed Elanusi. and the second goal he also believes was one of those penalties where Uh, The only way you can't have that penalty is if your defender doesn't have arms. So uh, a cold fury rather than an angry flame. I like that. In your opinion, Carl, was Ten Hag's game management partly to blame for it all unravelling? So a series of refereeing mistakes up to and including the red card played into Manchester United going from being 2-0 up and cruising to being 2-2 at halftime. 
you talk about game management when you're down to 10 men. You, you can't really legislate for the fact that there was an extra 30 minutes and some of those goals happen in that extra nebulous period. Manchester United eventually get a penalty to make it 3-2 and you're going, okay, well, if you just hunker down, if you do a reverse Ange, you can see the game out at 3-2. But no, uh, Manchester United colluded to not only let FC Copenhagen score an equaliser, but also get a late goal, uh, a number of calamitous errors. To not just the third goal, but the fourth goal as well. Some very, very, very weak back post defending. And this has been a long bugbear for Manchester United because they don't have fullbacks that are outstanding when it comes to back post defending. This does mean, Carl, United are bottom of Group A. It's Galatasaray in Turkey next. How vital is that game now? I get quite frustrated when people ask me if Manchester United games are must win. Every game for Manchester United is must win because if they don't, we end up having to spend two or three days going, what's gone wrong at Manchester United? Uh, but, you know, this, this very much is Manchester United need to win their next two games if they have any chance of playing European football, not just Champions League, but also if they want to make the Europa League. Whether or not you want Manchester United to even play very well and try and get in the Europa League is at your discretion. We'll save that debate for next time. Thanks, Carl. Now, there are a whole host of stats I could read at this point about United's struggles, but I've gone with this one. Man United have now lost nine of their opening 17 matches in all competitions this season. The last time they lost that many was the 1973-74 campaign when they were relegated from the top flight. Right, let's move on to the rest of last night's action. We already know the winners of United's group. Bayern Munich beat Galatasaray at home to confirm their place in the knockout stages. They won 2-1. No prizes for guessing who scored both. Here is Tell trying to finish it. Kane will finish it. A two-goal cushion for Bayern Munich and two goals for Harry Kane. In case you've lost count, that's now 19 goals in 15 games for Herr Kane. Joining Bayern in the last 16 are Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham was an unused sub, while Brahim Diaz, Vinicius Jr and Rodrigo took up the scoring mantle to beat Braga 3-0. And they are so quick, here goes Rodrigo, Vinicius Jr to his left-hand side, Brahim Diaz is getting forward, this is Rodrigo, brilliant ball, oh what a fabulous goal! Well worth a watch back of that Rodrigo goal if you've not yet seen it. Also in Group C, Union Berlin avoided defeat for the first time in 13 games. They drew one all at Napoli. Group D is all sewn up with Inter and Real Sociedad making the last 16. Sociedad beat Benfica 3-1 with all their goals coming in the first 21 minutes. And finally, in Group B, Arsenal are on the verge of the knockout stages. They beat Europa League champion Sevilla 2-0, thanks to goals from Leandro Trossard and Bukayo Saka. Second goal, is it on the card here? Saka! Yes. All that prevented them from qualifying was Lens 1-0 defeat at PSV. Watching on at the Emirates was James McNicholas, who joins us now. James... No striker, no problem for Arsenal? No, seemingly not. I mean, Gabriel Jesus was already out. They lost Eddie Nketiah uh, after he picked up a knock in the Newcastle game. That left Mikel Arteta with a choice between Kai Havertz and Leandro Trossard, both of whom really are more comfortable in deeper positions. He went with Trossard, who, to be fair to him, had shone as a false nine for Brighton last season and briefly at Arsenal too. And I think he did really well. Obviously scored the opening goal, but his combination play was excellent. And crucially, he allowed them to get the wide forwards, Saka and Martinelli, into the game. That's so key to this Arsenal team. 
You mentioned Kai Havertz there. He he did also start, and this felt like a good opportunity for him with Martin Odegaard's continuing absence. What did you make of his night? It was interesting because Arsenal play this kind of 4-3-3 shape, and when Kai Havertz first came into the club, he played a lot in the sort of left eight role vacated by Granite Xhaka in the summer. With Odegaard out, he shifted over to the right. And I have to say, there have been a few signs of life, shall we say, from him there. I'm not going to say he tore the house down. I'm not going to say it was an outstanding performance. Certainly not a £65 million performance, but there are some signs of improvement. I think the one disappointment for Havertz tonight will be that he didn't score. He had a couple of good chances. One in the first half really early on, a very presentable opportunity from a header. Came close with a curled effort from the edge of the box too in the second half. Still waiting for that open play goal. But a few little signs of encouragement, I thought, from Havertz this evening. And the job of qualifying for the knockout stages is not quite done yet, James, but these two wins over Sevilla have surely meant it's now just a formality? I think so. I mean, obviously, had Lons won in Eindhoven, Arsenal could have gone through tonight. But actually, I think PSV winning that game is just as welcome in some respects for Arsenal because it opens up a really considerable lead at the top of the group. It would take something quite extraordinary for them to not qualify now. And, and they're very much on course to win the group, which can be really important, of course, with the draw for the knockout stages moving forward. This was a very, very comfortable night for Arsenal. Sevilla didn't really muster a shot until stoppage time. Um, so I think Mikel has to be really pleased and ready to refocus on the Premier League for the visit of Burnley at the weekend. Thanks, James. Now, as you may have preempted, two nights of Champions League football is followed by a Thursday of Europa and Conference League action. Here's the key things you need to know ahead of tonight's games. Liverpool can qualify for the Europa League knockout stages with a win in Toulouse, although they'll need to do that without Captain Virgil van Dijk, who misses out with an illness. Brighton travel to Amsterdam to play a partially revived Ajax. They've won both games since appointing Johnny van Schip as their interim head coach. All those teams feature in early kickoffs, so that's 5.45pm in the UK and 12.45pm Eastern in the US. West Ham then lead the interest in the later games. The Conference League champions host Olympiakos. As for the actual Conference League action, Aston Villa welcome AZ Alkmaar to Villa Park, while Greek side Pauk will qualify with a win over Aberdeen. And if you want to watch any of the Europa and Conference League fun tonight, then it's the same drill as with the Champions League. In the UK, you'll find the goods on TNT Sports and it's Paramount Plus in the US. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Now make a note of this date, November the 21st. That is when officials at the 20 Premier League clubs next meet. And at that meeting, they will vote on a pretty significant change ahead of the January transfer window. Our very own football guru, David Ornstein, broke this story on The Athletic and he joins us now. David, what's this change the clubs will be voting on? Well, I think there has been a lot of scrutiny around the possibility of players who leave a club, say in the Premier League, for one elsewhere, overseas, abroad, who have the same ownership as another club in the Premier League, potentially making that move at great expense and then coming back here on loan in times of need. And that has produced a growing consternation among Premier League clubs who don't benefit from such a scenario. And the most obvious example is Newcastle United. Ruben Neves moved from Wolverhampton Wanderers to Al-Hilal in the Saudi Pro League for £47 million in June. Newcastle have a very difficult situation with Sandro Tonali banned for 10 months for gambling offences. 
they happen to have the same ownership as Al-Hilal. That's the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. All of a sudden, it raises the possibility that we might be able to structure, by hook or by crook, a cheap, free, maybe even, loan deal. Well, a number of the other Premier League clubs decided, "Uh uh-uh, we need to close that possibility. And so a resolution has been tabled. It will be put to the next Premier League shareholders meeting on the 21st of November, calling for a temporary ban on associated party loans into the Premier League for the January transfer window. Does it sound like this will get voted through? The Premier League executive is endorsing that. They're recommending that clubs accept it. That vote, like all rule changes, temporary or otherwise, at the Premier League require 14 votes, a two-thirds majority at the least. My anticipation is that this will be passed because it is seen as an interim measure to reduce the possibility of claims of corruption, of breaches of integrity, of unfair play. And then the dialogue and conversation is going to continue to try and find a more permanent long-term solution. I know of clubs who immediately want this to be a two-window ban after the initial transaction. So Ruben Neves, for example, leaves Wolves. He can't be loaned back to an associated party club, Newcastle, from Al-Hilal for January 2024 or the summer of 2024. It wouldn't be until January 2025 that he can They also want this to apply to permanent transfers from associated party clubs as well, some of these teams. But for now, the Premier League is trying to keep a grip on it and just say, January 2024, no associated party loans into the Premier League, full stop. I mean, it feels like this has come about because Newcastle could benefit by the tune of one Ruben Nevers in January. Is that fair? They are not being singled out. This is not targeted at Newcastle. There are many clubs with associated party links, such as Manchester City in the City Football Group with, say, Girona, who are top of La Liga. Got Chelsea and Strasbourg in France. I think it's 11 or 12 of the Premier League clubs have associated parties. And that may make this a very interesting vote. But at the time of recording, the anticipation is that this will come into force. Thanks, David. And that's your lot for today's briefing. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Mike Zimmerman and Abby Patterson and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Thank you for listening. Adam Leventhal will be with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a lovely day. The Athletic.